is doing so many great things in our church family. I wanna share the heart behind FPU, which is Financial Peace University. We continue to celebrate that our church is out of debt. And we thank God for his provision, everyone's generosity, and it's really been a huge breakthrough for our church. We also wanna empower and equip you because one of the main things you're gonna steward during your life is finances. And in this series, for over a decade, hundreds of families at Grace have gone through FPU. And so it's really a benefit in terms of biblically, what does it look like to you know, take those finances and then be faithful with them and bless people. That's FPU, that's why we do it. We're not just like a give to the church, we wanna support you in your own walk with God and your own finances as well. And there are so many good things happening at Grace. And one of the reasons is because there's about 500 people serving at Grace Community Church. Can we give it up for everyone that's serving as we start this fall? And we're gonna have an appreciation this coming Saturday at 9.30. If you serve at Grace, come at 9.30. There's gonna be some refreshments. There's gonna be some connection. You're gonna hear some stories. That's this Saturday at 9.30. Now, today's the final day in the message of our summer series, Refresh. We've been going through the Psalms, and we're looking at Psalm 133 today. Psalm 133. This is the short Psalm, 133, moving towards unity. Is anyone ready to move towards unity? That's where God calls us and leads us. And then the next three weeks, we're gonna go on an adventure together. It's gonna be a worldwide adventure. We're gonna draw close to God, get his perspective, and look at his power across the world, how he's changing lives and how we can participate too. So get ready the next three weeks. Pray right now for what God's gonna do in your life the next three weeks. As we seek God in prayer, let's lift up all the students starting school. Let's lift up educators together as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for... Every child, God, starting school, all the way through grad school, God, every student, young adults, and Lord, we thank you at the start of a new season, God, you tell us, do not fear, do not be discouraged, for you are with us. Don't be dismayed, you are our God. Not only are you with us, you go ahead of us. Bless each student, God, that they would grow in wisdom, they would grow in knowledge, they would grow in their walk with you. We pray for all students, Lord, who have drifted from you, that they would return home. And God, we also pray for our kids and grandkids who don't know you, that they would follow you, Jesus. God, we pray for educators this year, that you give them strength, endurance, patience. God, that you would guide them as they guide the classes. And we pray that you would be glorified at all schools, God. You would be known. And Lord, that lives would be changed. As we enter into your word today, our minds, our hearts are open. God, lead us. Make the changes in our life, in our relationships, in our attitudes that you want us to make. And we will trust you deeply, Jesus. We pray in your name, Lord, amen. Unity glorifies God. And unity is good for your soul. Unity is good for your own relationships. Unity can also be elusive. You can build unity for 10 years, and then in 10 days or 10 hours, there can be so much unity lost. When you think about unity, most people would say, yes, it's a good thing. Yes, I want unity. But then practically, how does it break down? We need to get very specific as we think about unity. What is God saying in scripture to us about our relationships? And if you're here today and you are carrying some resentment or bitterness, you might not like this message. 
If you are here today and you are in conflict and you have a grudge, you might not appreciate this message. If you're here today and you're someone who's very intensely independent and you insist on things and you dig your heels in, this message is going to challenge you. And all of this, you gotta draw near to God and his heart for unity. We're gonna walk through this text together and this is Psalm 133. Just three verses in the psalm. It doesn't mean it's gonna be a short sermon, but it means there's three verses in this psalm. Verse one, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. There is a consistent theme throughout scripture, God's heart to unite. And we see that continuity in the New Testament, John chapter 17, Jesus' longest prayer. It's the longest prayer of our Savior. So I encourage you to check out John 17. What is Jesus praying for? And look, as he's praying in John 17, he's praying for unity. And he's praying for not only believers then, believers to come. He prays for us. John 17, 23. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. What is Jesus praying for us today and our families and our church family? For complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me because one of the benefits of unity is that the world looks on, a world that's watching, not necessarily reading the Bible, but reading the lives of Christians. When they see unity, they're gonna see Jesus and be drawn to Jesus. Now, if you have kids or you have grandkids, you pray for them in specific ways because you know them and you know their tendencies and you know where they wander and so you pray for them in those very specific areas. God knows us. He knows that as sons and daughters, we drift towards disunity. We drift towards strife. We drift towards division. And he intercedes for us. Jesus is interceding, always lives to intercede at the right hand of the Father. God is helping us. The Holy Spirit will help you with unity because on your own, you might reject it. The body of Christ is struggling with unity right now in America. That's a reality of where we're at. So we need God's help. God doesn't leave us alone. He's gonna guide us in relationships with wisdom and love and truth. And he's guiding us through Psalm 133. Three practical questions today. Again, we wanna shift from just general unity is a nice concept to we wanna move towards unity together. What does this look like? The first question, how do you build unity? That's something that you wanna be able to do wherever you go, where you live, work, learn, or play. You're someone who knows how to build unity. Again, verse one, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Brothers, sisters, brothers and sisters, church family, we live together in unity. The word behold, pay attention to this, this is significant. Unity is a very important topic. It is good and it is pleasant. Coupled together, this is something from God's heart to our hearts that we need to embrace and say yes. Well, how do we actually build unity? Ephesians chapter four, read through it this week. I wanna read the first six verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul's writing the church in Ephesus. 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you build unity? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one in God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice that unity is already given. We are already in the body of Christ together. In Jesus, we are united forever as God's family. Now, our role is to guard that unity, protect that unity. There are gonna be threats to the unity we already have. Guard and protect it. In your life, you will protect and guard what's most important to you. Whatever you're protecting and guarding, that reveals it's very important to you. If unity is important, then guard it. I was a goalkeeper back in the day. A goalkeeper is paid to guard the goal. And I know that's gonna take some communication, some anticipation, some collaboration with the team because we've gotta keep the ball out of the back of the net. In the same way for you, it's gonna be some intentionality with collaboration, communication, some anticipation because you need to guard the unity that God has given to you in your relationships. In Ephesians chapter four, there's an emphasis on finding common ground. Look what we have in common. One God and Father overall, one faith, one baptism. Notice a majoring on the majors. What we have in common in Christ is far greater than some of our personal differences. Keep that perspective because if you overfocus on the minors, it'll lead to more division. But if you stay focused on the majors and the common love and the common God we have, the common truth we have, stay focused on the majors, it'll give you God's perspective and how he's seeing unity. Don't get caught into the ditch and the trap of arm wrestling over unnecessary and unimportant minors instead of focusing on the majors. Unity is relational. It's not a principle, it's relational. When you draw near to God, that's the unity that God's made us to experience and enjoy. When you unite with other people, this is relational. So make abiding with Jesus your priority. As you abide with God, you're gonna Stay close to the people that God's brought into your life as a gift and a blessing. It's united vertical. It's united horizontal. Unity is relational. Now, at our church and in our church family, we have a wide range of people, and we celebrate that. We have all ages, uh, from the very youngest baby to the very um, most seasoned senior. We have everyone in between, and it's very balanced. We celebrate and thank God for a church that's multi-generational. We have so many nations represented on a weekend. We thank God. We have so many cultures here together. And not just to be in the same room, but in each other's homes and friendships. We thank God. Now, that's not even touching on personalities and everything else, right? In the Olympics, there's diving and there's a degree of difficulty. And every diver knows some dives have a greater degree of difficulty than other dives. It would be easiest to have a homogenous church where everyone looks and talks like you and the same age and it just looks like everyone's the same. That's not what God's called us to here at Grace. 
Say, well, that might be easier. Yes, but that's not what God's called us to. It's a rich calling. It's a wonderful calling. And I'm just acknowledging that there are challenges when you bring together lots of different types of people. But in God's body, there's diversity. In heaven, there's diversity. And we want to live out on earth as it is in heaven. So we're up for the challenge. Amen? Amen. To listen, to understand, to forgive, to draw close to open up our homes and hearts. We're up for the challenge. We're not shrinking back. If you're looking for a church where everyone just looks exactly like you and thinks exactly like you and the same age and everything else, it might be a different church that's a better fit. But here, we wanna live this out together. We wanna figure it out together. We wanna grow together. We wanna experience the unity that we read about in the Bible right here. And I'll tell you, so much of it starts with our elders and the leadership. I'm so grateful for our elders. During the pandemic, they were a multitude of difficult decisions, but the elders staying united, aligned with scripture, full of love, full of truth, very fair. I say in that room with the elders that the most important piece here is that we walk united in this room. And then you think about the staff and listen, it's not something that can just be a at Grace Church, thou shalt unite. Like, that's not gonna work for all of us, right? This is your own choice. Like, who do you talk to uh, that sits next to you on the weekend? Like, who do you give a ride to? Who do you go into their home? Like, who do you serve? How do you use your gifts? Like, the classic in America is just like, show up at church, like, all right, what are they gonna do for me? How much do I like them? All right, come serve me. Are you serving me enough? Okay, I'm out, I'm out. That's not biblical, Biblical, you show up at the church, you're like, okay, how can I serve? How can I encourage? Like, let's do this together. I need to learn. I want to grow. I want to help. I want to make a difference. Like, that posture right there, that's what God blesses. And these are some of the shifts. How do you build unity? It starts with your heart. It starts with your mind. That's where it starts. And look at what's written in 1 Peter. Again, go into scripture. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Does that describe you sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble? Are those the words that people use to describe you? Now, when you think about our nation, it's kind of bold to say we're the United States of America. It definitely, when you see that word united, that's part of the name of our country, United States of America. We thank God for the unity that is actual and real. And we thank God for the aspirational unity because we still have a long ways to go. It reminds us we wanna move that direction. And I believe that the people of God who know God, who walk with God and listen to God will first live it out and that God's people will lead the way. Right now, churches, there's too much division. We need to come together, never watering down the truth or scripture, but we need to change the way we're living and that's gonna inspire the nation. Instead of just pointing fingers, we need to actually live it out. It's all right, there, it doesn't have to be an amen right there. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> Uh, I'm not fishing for amens either, by the way. Uh, let, let me say it, it this way. And again, um, you might say, yes, but what about accountability? 100% accountability. Yes, but what about church discipline? 100% church discipline. It's right there in scripture. Yes, but what about Jesus says he comes to divide and that sword and like, what, what about all that? What he says is that the gospel will be preached and sometimes someone in the family will follow Jesus and someone won't. And 
And, and yes, that's a reality. That happens. We don't water down or reject the gospel because of that. Yes, Jesus is very clear. There's the word of God and then the patterns of the world. Don't conform to the patterns of the world, but go with the word. I'm not promoting a unity that we just dumb down, water down, make it shallow, reject God's word. No, if it's not in truth, it's not love. It's not unity. We need both, both come together. What I am saying is that unity is about relationships. Unity is about relationships. They asked Jesus, this is, there's so much scripture, 66 books, what a gift. How do you, and they're asking Jesus, sort through all of this to know what's really most important? They asked Jesus that question. We have his answer. He said there's two things, and he put them in order. Number one, love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. That is the most important, relational love God. Why? Because God already loves, pursues, and knows us. We want to know God and love God. Love God. That's your first and most important. Say, well, what's my second in my purpose? Every day, what's second, most important? Jesus said, here's the second, love your neighbor. That's number two. Relational, relational. Vertical, horizontal. Love, love. Follower of Jesus, love God, love your neighbor. How are we doing with loving our neighbors? How are we doing there? It's interesting when people talk about growing in their relationship with God, I would say over the years, the most frequent piece that people identify, I wanna grow in knowledge, grow in knowledge. I would say it's wonderful to grow in knowledge. I encourage you to grow in knowledge. One of the very best habits spiritually is to read the Bible every day and pray. Growing in knowledge is excellent. But growing in knowledge isn't necessarily gonna lead to loving your neighbor. When we're talking about growing spiritually, here's something I don't hear. I'm not that great at loving my neighbor. And, and what I actually hear sometimes is, oh, I love God. I'm just not into the whole people thing. <laughs> I think God's awesome, but like relationships and people, and it's like, no, that's not for me. That's not for me. I stay away from that. Wait, how can you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor? That doesn't make any sense biblically. Oh, I love God so perfectly, but, but I'm just not interested in the, the people sitting next to me. Where did we, how did we end up there? What is that? Wait, what? And somehow we've given ourselves a pass. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, we're free. We do whatever we want. We can love God and don't have to love people. And it's like, Really? What I don't hear people say in terms of how I wanna grow spiritually is I wanna learn how to love people. That's what I need to do. In my walk with God, I need to learn how to love people more and better and humble and how Jesus loved people. That's what I wanna do. I wanna learn how to love people, how Jesus loved people, because I'm pretty sure it's the second most important thing in my life is to love the people around me. So. How are we gonna do that? Well, how did Jesus do it? Jesus didn't just watch from heaven and give us a few principles. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. If you wanna love people, you're gonna need to leave some of your comfortable zone and pursue and initiate and go next to people. Close is where the impact really is. Well, what else did Jesus do? Jesus showed patience. 
Do you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, and just notice how patient Jesus was with the 12? The 12 main people he's pouring his life, he's investing his life into, they are blowing it more frequently than you can even name. And Jesus is patient, 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 patient. You read the gospels. Jesus, can you help me be patient like you're patient? That's a big thing in relationships. And then there's flexibility. Look how many times there's an interruption, a demand, a request. Someone's coming at Jesus with a problem, a need. Savior, get over here. They're just constant. And he knows when to be flexible. He knows how to walk through the situation. He doesn't blow his top. He doesn't get ticked. He does. He's flexible. He's abiding with the Father. And he knows when to have a change in a mid-course redirection. And he knows when it's clear he needs to move forward and just invite those people to come because he's not gonna go over there. He's going this way. He knows. And then he's serving people. He shows up and he serves. He shows up and he serves. He shows up and he serves. When you show up and you just start serving, 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 that's how you express your loving people. What else? Listening. No one's a better listener than Jesus. He listens close to the soul, the heart, the mind, the question, the tone. He's tuned in. He's an amazing listener. I just don't hear people say, I wanna learn how to listen like Jesus. Well, what else? Sacrifice. You won't have unity without humility and consequently, sacrifice. If you wanna have a great marriage, it's gonna take a great amount of sacrifice. There's a lot of sacrifice needed for unity. Jesus makes the ultimate sacrifice and lays down his life. He lives a life of sacrifice in love. This is the heart of the gospel. It's connection versus separation. All of us, because of our sin, facing a holy God for eternity, will be separate, will be apart from him, will be in hell unless Jesus intervenes and says separation is not the will of God, it's connection. And he lays down his life so we are united, accepted, forgiven, and in God's family forever. Separation has a solution, it's connection through Christ. Well, does Jesus, you know, connect us with the Father and then he's fine if it's just chaos and strife in our relationships? No, he tears down walls of hostility. In the context, as you think about Israel under David, there were 12 tribes united. You know what happened? We just factually say 10 in the north, two in the south, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, 10 and two, like it was no big deal. But to take 12 and asunder, and now 10 in the north, two in the south, like there's a lot of friction and fraction in those numbers. Jew and Gentile, they look down upon each other. Years of animosity, wouldn't forgive each other. Jesus came to destroy the walls of hostility between us and our relationships. There's a unity and connection that's vertical and there's a unity that's real in your relationships. The Prince of Peace wants to take over in your strife and in your conflict and in your heart. This is the gospel. How good is it to share in this unity, purpose and passion united, alignment with heaven, alignment with each other. It takes love, it takes truth. You know what? You were made for unity. Maybe you gave up on unity and you even thought God gave up on you. No, that's not the end of the story. 
You are made for unity with God, unity with other people. You will never be fulfilled on an island. Isolation might initially feel like it's playing it safe, but you will never be all God's designed you to be in isolation. We grow in community. We grow in unity. We missed God's perspective on unity. It's his love. It's his truth. It's his will. God moves us towards unity. Well, the second question, how do you break unity? And this isn't a question to say, Oh, that sounds good. Let's try that. How does unity break down? This is doing a little autopsy on where something's broken. Unity is broken. And what can we learn from it? Scripture will both inspire us to move towards unity, but then also reveal to us how unity is broken down. Very straightforward. Now, in marriage, I find it interesting in meeting with couples before they're married In almost every couple I've met, they wouldn't use these exact words, but in essence, what they're telling me is, in our relationship, we're really good at conflict resolution. Pastor, you can move on to some other topics because we're so strong in conflict resolution. Like, I know you probably meet with some couples that are struggling, but we're so awesome. I'm just saying, going into marriage, that's kind of the tone with the couples I meet with. I don't hear many saying, uh, could you walk us through conflict resolution? Because we're really going to need that. Now, in a marriage, there's going to be conflict. Amen? You got two people, two agendas, two wills. Like, it's coming. It's going to come. It's going to be there. It's going to be a lot of it. So conflict resolution, you need it. Why are half the marriages in our land ending in divorce? Well, a lot of it's tied to conflict resolution. How did our unity break down? That day we were married, the two became one. We were so close. Like, what is going on from that point? And James is someone in the Bible who's very clear and straightforward. If you're thinking about unity, like, yeah, could someone just shoot straight with me? Read the book of James. Five chapters, talks about unity, very specific. Let's take a look at a few verses. James chapter three. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is always seen in someone's life. Wisdom is not seen in your number of degrees, your slick answers. Wisdom is not even seen in knowledge. Wisdom is always seen in someone's life. Now, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. What's the contrast? The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. My friend who's a pastor in Austin, Texas, Galen Clark, says there are peacemakers and peacebreakers. We want to be peacemakers. Amen. In James chapter 3, there are peacemakers and there are peacebreakers. Well, what's the difference? Peacebreakers harbor bitterness, they have envy, and they have selfish ambition. That's the path of a peacebreaker. Now, what about a peacemaker? We read in James, they are pure, they are humble. They are submissive. What does submissive mean? Simply put, it means easy to lead. Are you someone that's easy to lead on your job? Uh, Submissive. And then also impartial, meaning no favoritism. 
That's a path towards being a peacemaker. Two different philosophies, James says, one's from hell, one's from heaven. Don't get the two confused as clear as you can be. If you choose the one from hell, peace will turn into chaos and unity will turn into division and that, that synchronicity from heaven will turn into strife. That's the path from hell. But then there's a different way. It's the one from heaven. It's God's wisdom. Say, well, what are you saying the only things are envy, bitter, and selfishness? No, there's others. Pride, gossip, slander, complaining. And then there's some unintentional ones in relationships, like unspoken expectations in a marriage can take down a marriage. Needing to verbalize and communicate from your heart. There's blind spots. All of us have them. We've got blind spots in our relationships. And also when there's no accountability, this is all a path towards division. Now there's a sequence as you study the Bible, starting in the first sin, Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve. There's a sequence, you could just call it the devil's dance. What is this from hell? What is this negative peace-breaking path? Here it is, step one, sin. Adam and Eve chose sin over, the, over God. Number two, division. Now there's division between them and God and each other. There's shame. They start to cover things up. Then number four, there's blame and pointing the finger. Number five, they twist it. You can start to think you're a victim. Six, resentment kicks in. And seven, pride continues. Now, it was true then. It's true today. What is this devil's dance? It starts with sin. Sin leads to division. Sin leads to division. Then from that division, people have shame after they've sinned. They know deep down, I've sinned against God, I've hurt some other people, it's hurting my relationships, there's some shame. But then the shame, it's interesting, twists to blame. I'm gonna blame someone for their reaction, what they did, what they didn't do, what they didn't understand, and shifting to the blame. Then it gets twisted, so the person who did the wrong is now the victim, now there's resentment, and they walk in pride. That sequence right there has been played out countless times over the history of humanity. And at the core of it is a drifting from Jesus. Drifting from Jesus is at the core. The more our nation drifts from Jesus, the more division there'll be in our nation. The more we return to God, the more we walk with God and be humble with God. The theological is primary and then division is played out in so many other instances. The theological piece, that's the drifting from God, your relationship with God. Stop abiding with God. Then it's gonna play out. It's gonna play out in the methodological, meaning we're gonna argue over how we do things. It's gonna play out in the preferential, meaning this is my preference, that's your preference. Let's go to war. Let's battle over that one. It's gonna play out in the sexual because we're no longer aligned with God. We're gonna come up with all sorts of things that go against God's word. It's gonna be played out in the political because we're not praying about stuff. We're not following scripture. We're just doing what we think. It's a people's thoughts and a people's ways. It's gonna be played out in so many different ways, racial, generational. That will all play out if we don't, Abide with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. A house of divided will not stand. That's true on many levels. That's true at home. A house divided will not stand. The church, the nation. In a real way, I was thinking about the churches and the sound. It would be nice to think that every church that existed in the sound was a wonderful church plant with unity and prayer. The reality is so many churches we have now came out of church splits. 
And some of them church splants, meaning it wasn't a full-on split. It was like, okay, we're gonna split. Let's bless you as you go out. Uh, So as you look around the sound, like that's how a lot was birthed. Uh, So the body of Christ is not walking in the complete unity that Jesus prays for in John 17. How do we step into that? Again, this is spiritual, primarily spiritual. We can talk about how it plays out, but it's primarily spiritual. It's a decision for each of us, the flesh versus the spirit. That's what the book of Romans lays out, the flesh, the spirit. And listen, when there's retaliation, you did me two, I'm gonna do you four. You wanna bring three, I'll give you six. That kind of retaliation, people in the body of Christ get into that mode. And it's the flesh, not the spirit. There's a spirit of revenge, not the spirit of the Holy Spirit. And there's always a rationalization. There's always a justification. When someone has that retaliation, well, they brought a little, so I gave them a lot. Like, well, why did you do that? Almost always, they have these, all these reasons. Well, this is why I'm doing a justification, rationalization. This is why I get revenge. This is why revenge is mine. This is why bitterness is mine. It's like, stop, abide with God. Come back, listen. When we put ourselves above God's word, there's division. When we put ourselves under God's word, there's unity. When we put ourselves above God, there's division. When we come underneath God, there's unity. Philippians chapter four, Paul was very specific with the church, the Philippians church in Philippi. There were two people, Euodia and Syntyche. And he says this specifically in his letter. They're in the church. Euodia and Syntyche love God. In fact, they've been right along Paul's side in sharing the gospel and so many great things God's done. But now Euodia and Syntyche, they're just battling. They're digging their heels in. And it's, the conflict is growing and it's affecting the church. And Paul pleads with Euodia and Syntyche, come together in unity and in humility. And not only that, but he says to the church in Philippi, come around these two and help them in restoration. Help them walk in a way that's humble with God. This is how you could boil it down. Escalation, de-escalation. We're all gonna be in conflicts. Conflicts don't make you less spiritual. Conflicts are part of the human journey. When you're in a conflict, you're gonna do one of two things. You're either gonna reach back and you're gonna pull out the water or you're gonna reach back and you're gonna pull out the lighter fluid. The fire starts, the fires that we read that are covering 100 acres, that just didn't happen in 10 seconds. That's like a lot of process, a lot of decisions, a lot of momentum with the conflict, a lot of gossip, a lot of slander, a lot of, when you see a fire raging, it just didn't, act like that overnight, there was a lot built into that. When there's a conflict that starts to take over, that didn't just happen in a couple minutes or even in a day or two. That happened when two people were in the conflict and instead of reaching for water, they reached for the lighter fluid. And the fire starts and the conflict starts. And if you don't know how to de-escalate conflict, if your go-to is, you know, there it is, lighter fluid. I always do lighter fluid. My family's done lighter fluid for generations. Like we're just lighter fluid people. Jesus can change that. Jesus can break that. You can learn how to bring some water to a conflict. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. 
When someone does something to you, I'm not saying it's right, but if you wanna go ahead and say, you do two, I'm bringing four. There's the lighter fluid. Now you're gonna burn a lot more people. Or you listen to God, you say, Jesus, lead me, and you got patience, forgiveness, understanding. Now we're clarifying talk, courageous conversations. We're getting honest. We're moving towards a solution. We're staying together. We're staying humble, and let's change this for the glory of God. That's what Paul's asking Euodian Syndicate to do. That's God's calling on our life. Unnecessary, unwise, unhelpful conflict. Why? Because people are grabbing lighter fluid instead of water. Let's go to God and have him guide us through the most intense and difficult conflicts. And we conclude in Psalm 133 with these last two verses. And this is the last question. How blessed is unity? It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. If I asked you for two metaphors for unity, you probably wouldn't say oil on the beard and dew on the mountain. People are like, wait, what? This is the context, oil This is from the book of Exodus. The high priest was anointed. Moses anointing Aaron. And we have the oil of anointing running down across the beard. Everyone has a beard. feeling good about their beard right here in this passage. And then it's down to the breastplate. 12 tribes on the breastplate. This is not just a regular oil. This is a special oil. God, there's an anointing from God on unity. It's not the same anointing when there's disunity. We don't have people all around the sound who, let's say they're not reading the Bible, but they're reading Christians. That's common. We don't have a bunch of people saying, oh, I wanna go check out a church where there's a lot of conflict, a lot of passive aggressive, just a lot of people digging their heels in that don't talk to each other. It's just weird and awkward. Like, that's, that's where I wanna go. People don't want that. They don't see God. They don't feel God in that. What? There's an anointing of God's presence where there's unity, and that includes the home. Unity and anointing, consecration, go together. That's the oil. Well, what about the dew? Mount Hermon's the tallest mountain, northeast of the Sea of Galilee. Everyone looks up and sees Mount Hermon. It's snow-capped all year round. We have a visual with Mount Rainier. We understand a little bit of this. Now, as the snow melts, there's water that comes down, cascading on the limestone, making its way down to the Jordan River. And as it descends, that fresh water, that dew, it's fruitful, it's vegetation there, it's inspiring, it's refreshing. That's the kind of blessing that comes with unity. That refreshing, that growth, that fruit, it's all connected to unity. When you talk about unity, a lot of people have a yes, but. Yes, but, that's gonna mean forgiveness. It sure does. You can't have closeness without forgiveness. That's true in your marriage. You can't have closeness without real forgiveness. The Bible's clear, forgive everyone fully, just as you are forgiven through Jesus Christ just as and because of the basis, not because the other person's great or they realize their mistake or they apologize. No, because of Jesus, forgive fully. Healing's gonna be a process, but forgiveness is right away. So yes, forgiveness and unity go together. Well, what about accountability? We have accountability first with God and in his word. The Bible's clear. Don't bring your offering, right? Don't take communion if you need to get right with some people. 
Don't be acting like you're all spiritual, worshiping God, taking communion, look how spiritual I am. But really, you need to get right with some people. Get right with the people first, scripture says. And then come and worship God in this setting, in the Lord's house. There needs to be accountability, and there is, with our elders here at our church, with our staff. There's accountability. Accountability is essential with unity. Otherwise, it's gonna be shallow and fake unity. Say, yes, but what about our differences? We will always have a lot of differences. A lot of them are in the smaller areas of life. We don't disagree here about Jesus Christ. This is the word of God, his death, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit in us. We don't disagree on the majors here at Grace, but there's a lot of differences and there just will be. We can live and God's diversity includes a lot of differences that are wonderful. And you say, yes, but some people complain all the time. Well, that's true. Some people would complain if you took them today and just, gave them a tour, and they showed up at heaven today, they would complain, right? Some people are gonna complain even if they're in heaven. That's what the devil did, right? He's in heaven, he complains. No, more of it should be about me. More of it should be how I want. More, more should be about me. That's what the devil brings to heaven. Some people are just complaining. You can't stop people from complaining, right? So you, instead, what are you gonna do? Um, you say, some people are so stubborn. Yes, they are. This is why the Bible's realistic. Romans 12, chapter 16. What can you do? People are stubborn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. You get to choose these things. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans chapter 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. What can we practically do? Set an example because your example is gonna be so much louder than your words. Set an inspiring example. What else? Set limits. Some of us like to talk too much. We say things we shouldn't say, and we're talking about things we shouldn't talk about. We we gotta start setting some limits with our words, because that kills unity. What else? Keep an eye on a relationship. You're probably gonna talk politics over the next year, right? As you talk politics, be aware of how that affects the relationship. Don't let the relationship just go down the tubes. Be aware of how these hot topics affect the person you're talking with and value relationships. We might need to redefine some wins in our life. When a husband and wife are arguing, a lot of people go into the mode of like, I'm gonna win this one. Yeah, I was right. They knew it. I was right again. I'm usually right. (laughs) Is that winning? That's not winning. Winning in marriage is unity. That's winning. We gotta redefine what winning really is. We need to mature. We need to grow up, be more like Christ. That includes humility. No one's more humble than Jesus. We wanna become like Jesus. And we also need to know when to redirect conversations. When you're at the family, extended family gathering and things are going sideways and everyone's trying to run over the bridge that's, that's out and it's just starting to get ugly and it's, it's just in the family, it's chaos. You need to learn how to redirect the conversation. Hey, I hear what everyone's saying, but how about the Mariners? <laughs> they are just on a tear right now. I mean, I didn't think they'd make the playoffs, but look at them now. You say, well, that's kind of a jolt. That's not smooth. It's okay if it's not smooth sometimes. You just say, it's time to redirect this conversation because it's not going anywhere. Learn de-escalation, especially if you have a habit of escalation. It's time to learn de-escalation. Let God guide you in the wisdom. Soak it up from his words. I'm not saying unity is easy. If it was easy, we would see it abound. 
Unity is not easy. It was gonna be one of the most challenging things that you ever do. The 10 tribes and the two tribes, the Jews and the Gentiles, the same kind of walls of hostility today. But remember this, spiritual unity is first. The most important thing you can do is draw near to Jesus and abide with him. That's where it starts. Family unity will flow from that. The context of this psalm, they're gathering together to return to God, to worship, to seek God. Seek God first and God changes hearts. Grow with Jesus and then you'll grow with unity. If you try to grow with unity on your own strength, you might just keep doing the same things. Grow with Jesus, let him lead and guide. If it's real unity, full of love and truth, then it's gonna show up, it's gonna be obvious in the relationships. There was one mention I saw on Yelp, and this stood out to me. Someone said they're just checking out churches, and they went to one church, and what they noticed is surprised them. It's kind of stunning that when church ended, people actually stood around, they talked to each other. It was like they enjoyed each other. They just said it was weird. Like every, every church you go to, like service ends, bolt for your car, get there quickly, get out of here, go. And they were like, this church was different. It was like people wanted to talk to each other and stuff and like get to know new people. And I don't know, it just, it was strange. They're saying this on Yelp, right? And that's not a quick guilting if you leave church quickly today. It's not that. But do you see how the world is watching in the body of Christ and they're just trying to figure out like, how do you do relationships? What does love look like? What does unity look like? Let me check this out and see if I see any Jesus in these relationships. That's one of the main reasons we have life groups in our church. On a weekend, honestly, we can't go deep with that many people usually. But in a life group, you can go deeper. You can get into God's word and pray in a deeper unity because you see each other every week. Connection, not separation. I'll close with us thinking about Jesus. He saw the gaps, he saw the hostility, he saw the distance between us and God and also the relationships with each other. He saw all that. Notice Jesus did not go into denial, didn't deny anything. The realities of the relationships, he doesn't belittle the challenges. He's not selfish, he's not self-consumed, he's not self-absorbed. Jesus is not passive. He doesn't just watch it and go, oh, well, guess that's all there is. And he doesn't plan a little Jesus island where he pulls back from everyone and it's remote and he's just, he's just gonna set up shop in his island and forget relationships. That's not Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does something about it. Short-term, long-term, he lays down his life. No one's more committed to unity than Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more his perspective becomes ours. As we close here today, I want you to just think for a minute. You've heard a lot of scripture. What is God communicating to you? The message is move towards unity. And what is the next step, the one step that God has for you today? Which relationship, an apology, forgiving someone, shifts in some of your habits, what is God doing in your life, in your heart, to move you towards unity? Will you say yes to God today? Maybe for you, the first step is to put your trust in Jesus. You don't know Jesus. Put your trust in him. What does unity look like for connecting for you, for serving for you, for your family? How much unity is there in your home? What does God wanna do? 
to increase the unity? What about our church family? Followers of Jesus across the sound. What kind of unity will you pray for? Jesus prays for unity. We wanna pray for unity. God, unite us today as we give you praise. Unity glorifies you, Jesus. Move us out of our comfortable zone. Move us into relationship risks. Help us to love people who are different ages, ethnicities. God, help us to open up our homes. Help us to not just study unity, but to live it. God, may it start in our relationship with you. We wanna draw closer. We give you praise. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're a healer, you comfort, you guide, you empower us. We wanna say yes today to the complete unity you give and move towards that. And we pray in Jesus' name.